0: Before we start today's show, I just want to give a massive shout out to ACAST for making this show happen. Thanks, ACAST.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: and welcome to the PJ podcast. Hope you're having a great week. Uh, we're it's episode 9 this week, which is a little crazy. Life update from me. I have just gone 32 weeks in my pregnancy. Starting to feel very large, starting to bump into a lot of things. It's getting quite heavy to get out of bed. Um, but I'm also trying to make the most of this time as well <laughs> because I know that my sleep is never going to be the same again. Um, all right, this week on the show, a bit of a different guest from previous weeks. And it, uh, I find this woman really fascinating. She's got so many hacks which are actually palatable, which are actually attainable. And, and I love her kind of zest For learning things Her name is Dr. Amantha Imber And she is an organisational psychologist And also founder of Behavioural Science Consultancy Inventium She works with a bunch of companies Such as Google, Apple, Disney, Lego You name it um, Working on techniques on how Employees can get the most out of their day um, In terms of productivity Um, But I wanted to pick her brain on working from home and getting that motivation and kicking that procrastination out the way. What are her thoughts on that? Plus, techniques on finally how to kick our terrible habits when it comes to cell phone use. Um, she has some really fun and quirky tips, which I think you're going to enjoy. And also, um, there is, oh, this is cool. There's a question that you can use to help you never regret a decision again. We'll go into more of that um, coming up for episode nine with Amantha Imbert on the PJ Podcast. Oh, you're so (laughs) colourful.
3: I love it. Uh, Bucking the Melbourne trend. Oh,
0: how cold is it right now?
3: Oh, it's not good. Um, oh, look, it's twelve degrees. I mean, you oh know. yeah,
0: it could be worse, relative, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I've had such a nightmare with technology this afternoon. And I was like, I cannot be late for Amanda. I feel like, you know, you're so organised, you're so onto it. I, you know, but anyway, we made it.
3: Awesome, awesome, awesome!
0: I'm excited to talk to you. Oh my god, me too. Like I have actually never heard of an organisational psychologist until yeah. literally the last few days. And yeah. initially I thought, oh, it's someone who, you know, makes sure you are and stuff. But it's actually mm-hmm. – is it that or is it you talk to no, organisations? No,
3: it's about work. So it's really – it's about how to help people – be better at work, whether yep. that be happier, perform better. Um, so yes, helping people in organizations, hence the name, organizational psychology.
0: What was the moment that made you go? I want to get into organizational psychology.
3: That was actually in second-year psych. So I had always oh. thought I would become a clinical or counseling psychologist. So my mum is a clinical psych, and you know, I'd grown up hearing stories about her work which I thought was really interesting she described herself as a detective of the mind <laughs> and I thought oh well, that sounds really cool um but then you know my one reservation with that is that I didn't think that I'd be all that good at um, like detaching myself from my clients things that they were telling me about all day and how would I go home and switch off from mm. that and in second year psych I learned about this field called organizational psychology and helping people be better at work and I thought well you still get to do all the detective work and you're still helping people in a meaningful way but i felt like emotionally it would be a bit um a bit easier
0: yeah <laughs> that, cuz that's always what i think about you know clinical psych and, and all that kind of jazz, it must be really hard to switch off. But they, they seem to be able to do it and it seems to yeah. be a certain type of person that can fit that mould. Um, yeah. But that's really fascinating because I feel like there's so many people now that obviously are moving into that home space, the WFH, work from home kind of lifestyle. And I feel like that would open up a myriad of challenges for people because personally for me, I've just kind of moved from that office environment to home and I have to be my number one motivator and I struggle. I so struggle with procrastination and getting the most out of my day. So what would you what would be your number one piece of advice for people who, you know, have moved into that kind of at home role, working from home? How the hell do you get the most productivity from your day?
1: I would say it
3: comes down to thinking about what are the biggest challenges that you're feeling. Like, if, for example, procrastination mm-hmm. is a big thing, then, like, in Time Wise, for example, there, there's a bit on procrastination that I really loved, which was from this guy called Tim Herrera, and he used to edit the Smarter Living section of the New York Times, which is basically all sorts of life hacks and tips for um, living a better life, mm-hmm. and. He um, he'd thought quite a lot of about procrastination and I think where procrastination gets a bad name is that people think that you're just like lazy or something um, or a bad worker but often procrastination is it's about managing your emotions as opposed to managing your attention and so like generally when you procrastinate, like you hop on, like you, you procrastinate, you make that decision because what you're doing is feeling like really hard or boring or stressful and you want to relieve <laughs> that emotion. Yes. And so then you'll hop onto social media and procrastinate, yep. for example. And so it's really going, well, what can I do to actually make my work more enjoyable mm. um, or, you know, acknowledge that I sometimes need to push through hard work in order to achieve what I want to achieve? But other times you might just be in the wrong job and it might be time for a job change where you're in a job where you don't want to procrastinate like Mm. throughout the day.
0: Well, and I suppose uh, everyone works differently as well. You know, there are people that that do fit that nine to five mile, but there are also people that work in bursts of, you know, an hour here and an hour there. Do you have any kind of tips around that?
3: Mm. Well, look, our brain tends to work in kind of shifts of like 60 to 90 minutes. So, Mm -hmm. like, people might have heard of, like, if you're a bit of a productivity nut like me, you might have heard of a technique called the Pomodoro technique, which basically says, and it's named after the tomato, the (laughs) Pomodoro tomato, not quite sure why, except you can get these timers that are in the shape of a Pomodoro tomato. Anyway, (laughs) yeah, so what that's all about is it basically says, Work, like do focused work for 25 minutes and then take a break for five minutes and like, you know, rinse and repeat kind of thing. But the problem with that is that often it can take about 15 or 20 minutes to get into flow, Mm. like that feeling where time just flies and you don't want a tomato timer knocking you out of that feeling at the 25-minute mark. So generally I recommend, and this is something I do myself, work in 60 to 90-minute sprints and then take a break after each sprint.
0: And you were talking about, you know, it's about creating kind of that environment. Do you think it's really important to have <laughs> things around you that spark joy? Um, I suppose, you know, when you're working with organisations, um, I suppose ones that are taking you on are probably quite progressive and they look at new working spaces and all that kind of jazz. So is that, is that important? It, it's really important. Is and that?
3: I think you want things to spark joy that are in front of you that you can see that might be on your desk, and can I just say that cozy gray blanket <laughs> that you just like pulled up is looking really nice and warm?
1: But is that bad because
0: is that going to make me too comfortable? I was no, like, No, nah, I'm bringing it in.
3: Right. Oh my god, I'll often be wearing a parka like just before a meeting, I'll be like, Oh, I should take the parka off and try to look a bit professional yeah. for the meeting, and then I'll just wear the parka as a blanket, but because it's a slippery material, it like slips off my <laughs> knees, so I feel like I can't gesture with my hands. I'm holding the parka up anyway, but I think the other thing to do aside from focusing on what's in front of you is thinking about what is behind you because for so many of us that are working from home we're spending so much of our days in video meetings on zoom or ms teams and you're like unless you're hiding self-view which is a very important functionality in zoom I always recommend hide self-view because it takes cognitive resources to look at yourself oh my god
0: people. I was looking at an article about this today maybe it was something you posted um and and it was a psychological tip or whatever um recommending that people turn that off because it actually drains you right
3: Yes, it drains you. It takes resources to look at yourself and you're analyzing yourself. And like
0: I'm so guilty of that. It's like I'm looking in the mirror when I'm here and I'm like, oh my God.
3: (laughs) It's awful. Yeah, so, Like we're recording this on Zoom and I've just clicked hide self view so that I can only see you, PJ. I don't have to look at myself, which is wonderful. <laughs> but my point is, though, we should curate what's behind us because if you are looking at yourself um, and certainly other people are looking at your backdrop all day in meetings, it's important that we think about what's the view and how can we use that view behind us to spark joy or, you know, whatever emotion we do want to spark in the people that we're connecting with via video.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So does that, does that cover like um, the Photoshopped ones? With, <laughs> <laughs> or is that a bit different? Well you oh got the God. San Fran Bridge?
3: Oh, Jesus. I really, I hate virtual Oh my backdrops. God, Sam. Yeah. And you know what? One of the reasons I hate them is one of the, one of the really nice things about, Um, the the working from home trend thanks to the pandemic is that you're getting this window into people's lives and suddenly people are way more human than, you know, they're they're not just this person that you see in an office in a suit, like they've they've got a family, they've got kids that interrupt Zoom calls, they've got a dog. Um, And and then you see the Eiffel Tower. Yes, it's like home I want to see into you yeah. um, and so I really I, I'm not a fan of virtual backdrops
0: I am a sucker for a to-do list and you know what I sometimes find they actually start to get overwhelming and I I will actually have millions of lists around the house and I'll write on any bit of paper I can what are your thoughts on the benefits of to-do lists because I know that you recommend writing a to-don't list
3: I do and you know what in um in my book time wise there are a few chapters about the to-do list because I do think a lot about this but with what you've mentioned specifically about Mm. the to-don't list I'm a massive fan I learned about that through Rachel Botsman who is um a, a trust fellow that is her title at Oxford University and like People might be familiar with her through her TED Talks, which has been seen by millions of people around trust and technology. And she is a really busy woman. She gets a lot of requests on her time. And something that she used to do annually, but when the pandemic hit, she started doing monthly, is reflecting on the month that has just gone and thinking about what are the things that really sucked her of energy and she puts those things on a to don't list like the on, on Rachel's to don't list um I think she's got things like you know don't use social media after seven o'clock at night you know don't meet with x person period <laughs> uh you know don't undervalue Um, things that don't take you much time, but actually add a lot of value. Uh, So she's got quite specific things that she's reflected on and it helps make decisions easier. And it also helps make saying no a lot easier, with which if you're a people pleaser, mm. it's really hard to say no.
0: Do you find it can backfire sometimes though and people might just look at it like, oh, that was a hard task. I'm, I'm going to put that on the to-don't list. Like, for example, <laughs> we've got chickens here. Feeding the chickens, I have to walk out, it's bloody cold. You know, I put off doing it. Could you see that that could be misinterpreted? Obviously, that's not what you're wanting on that because those things have to be done, the washing and all that kind of stuff. That's
3: right. You don't want your chickens to die. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would say within reason, like you do want to provide good care for living things that um, you're responsible for. So let's just take that as a given. Um, But, uh, yeah, look, it's a funny one because I also interviewed um, Sally Hepworth, who Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're a fan of her books. She's a New York Times bestselling author, sort of writes um, like women's fiction and she has um, she calls her list it's similar to a don't list but she calls it a no list um and and what are like what are all the things that she just doesn't do and because her husband has taken on the role of being essentially the stay-at-home dad Mm. um she she's got things like you know i don't um i don't do the school pickup i i you know don't uh Go like I, I don't, you know, play Lego with my kids. Um, yeah, like there's right. other things that she does with her kids that bring her far more joy, but um, she's sort of she's developed all sorts of really strict boundaries that um are a little bit quirky as well. And but, her um, and
0: her partner's okay with that because I think that uh-huh. that can absolutely be amazing if you have that mutual understanding, but otherwise, it can maybe seem a bit dictatorial like I will not do this, and yes. it can maybe become a bit unfair.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if there's a partner involved, then you probably (laughs) want to get the partner's (laughs) buy-in. But I think it's just it's really good to reflect on your life and think about maybe the things that you feel like you should do. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there are things that we must do because they're essential for health and, um, you know, caring for our family and friends. But then there are things that we feel like we should do, but they're probably not serving us and they're possibly you know, like the Dementors in Harry Potter and they're just (laughs) sucking the life out of us. So it would be really good to reflect on that and put those things
0: on the to-don't list. Yeah, well, there has been such a focus over the last few years of the power of saying no. And, you know, you do see all these people places and I've, I've always traditionally been one of them, but there is that real sense of liberation when you can put your foot down, set a boundary and say no, I'm not going to do this. And it's not from a bad place. It's not from a place of being nasty. It's like literally protecting your own energy.
3: It is. I think it's been really intentional with how you use your time. So, so for example, mm. on my to don't list, I don't do meetings before lunchtime. Um, like, yes, there will be exceptions where my assistant just cannot find time anywhere else and it's fine, eh, I'll do it. But I know that I get my best work done, my best sort of deepest focus work done in the mornings. And so why would I want to be doing meetings in the mornings? Um, likewise, I don't check email first thing because I know if I do that, I'm just going to get into a rabbit hole of reacting mm. to what everybody else wants from me. But instead I need to focus on my own goals and focus on what I want to get done. <laughs>
0: Do you think that there is a shift with a lot of companies now tailoring to people's working needs? Because, I mean, for so long we have literally been under this kind of everyone works in the same way, but we literally don't and we don't function in the same way. Is that conversation happening a lot more?
3: I think it is happening a lot more and particularly with hybrid work because Mm. I think the best organisations are giving their staff choice as to do you want to work in the office? And if so, how many days a week would you like to work? And, you know, if we do agree as a team that we're going to work a little bit from the office, let's try and coordinate those days so we're all in on the same day so we can experience those social benefits and those collaboration benefits. Um, But then I think, the not so good workplaces are putting out mandates yeah. and not actually giving people choice and flexibility around these things.
0: Yeah. Back on the email, um, I know that you have said that. Uh, what was it? It was something around treating your emails like your dryer. Like your yes. dryer. Let's talk <laughs> through that because I'm going to show you something which is going to give you serious.
2: <laughs> Anxiety
0: six thousand seven hundred and thirty six. Oh my god! Unread you know emails god. on my oh Gmail.
3: Jesus,
0: I know. Oh
3: no! <laughs> oh god! I just want to come over and help whip that inbox into. My dryer Jones.
0: is broken.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Now, what you're referring to there is um is is something that I wrote about in Time Wise, which was off the back of um. Someone that I've had on the How I Work podcast, um, which is all about strategies for how we can do our work better, Who I adore this person. Her name is Laura May Martin, and she's got my dream job. So she is Google's executive productivity advisor.
0: Wow.
3: Who even knew there was such a job?
0: Wow.
3: Yeah. So- Laura basically coaches top executives at Google to help them work better. And one of the things she talks about when she's helping people tackle their inbox is that she says most people treat their inbox, um, like if you think about it, uh, like if your inbox was like your dryer and the way most people use their inbox is like they might get out a shirt and that feels dry (laughs) and then they'll walk upstairs, they'll put that in their cupboard, they'll come back downstairs to the dryer and then they'll find a sock. Not it's partner, <laughs> but just one sock, yes. it's a little bit wet, they'll have a feel of it, they'll chuck it back in the dryer. And then they find another sock and that one's dry, and so they walk that one back up to their wardrobe, put it away, even though it doesn't have a partner. What about
0: the missing socks that hide in that compartment? Box.
3: Yes, the missing socks. Oh my gosh, the missing socks and the socks that get covered in lint and, and then it's like it's just this big mess. And and then you close the dryer and you know, and then you walk away because it's all too hard. And that's how a lot of people treat their inbox. They mm-hmm. kind of deal with a few things. They might open some things, but then mark it as unread because they're like, oh, I'll just deal with that later. Um, and it's basically a big mess and very inefficient. And Laura is a big fan of treating your inbox like you're dry because if you've ever done washing before, you will know that when you've got your dry, you batch process everything. So you take all the dry clothes out and you fold them all and then you put them all away and then you can put a fresh load into the dryer. So you're kind of oh. you're doing everything as opposed to procrastinating on certain things and basically making everything take longer. Because you could you imagine how long drying yeah. clothes like the laundry would take if you approached it like your email? It would never get done. So you think
0: it's best to do it in one dose as opposed to feeding it throughout the day or the week?
3: It is. But what's really important is that we're intentional when we go into our inbox because so many people will do their email as a way to procrastinate because we actually feel this Mm. false sense of productivity when we're going through our emails. Well. I'll read that and I'll respond (laughs) to that or I'll delete that um, or I'll archive that. Um, And that feels really productive when really you're just kind of doing busy work a lot of the time. Um, And so it sort of tricks us into feeling good, but we're not actually doing much to move our most important work forward. Um, So it is addictive, uh, but it's not very helpful for being more productive and and, you know good with
0: our time. So we were laughing obviously about the the number on my email. (laughs) But like that actually probably does impact us more than we realise, right?
3: Yes. Like you look at that number Mm. and I mean if that were me, I would feel very stressed. (laughs) Like that's
1: like I've
0: detached from it.
1: (laughs) Which is probably (laughs) desensitized.
0: But I think of like I did a spring clean with my mum over the weekend and oh my God, you just feel like a new person, like it, it cleans out that energy and I suppose it's exactly the same with our mobile devices.
3: It is. It's like mental load, like that number 6,000 and whatever. <laughs> well, I've just repressed that. From should I just
0: memory, go on and delete <laughs> all? Do you reckon that's a good tactic? <laughs> <laughs> so basically nobody should
3: email you because yeah. it won't get read. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, not ideal.
0: I know you do talk a lot about social media use and how we can stop this mindless scrolling. It's a conversation that comes up all the time and it's something I thought I had taught myself to be more mindful with. You know, I moved to the country and I was like, initially when I moved here, I wasn't spending as much time on my phone and I've noticed that the more projects I've taken up online, the the harder it is to draw that line between leisure and work and my whole day becomes just blurred on on my phone and I'm like where the hell did that time go?
3: It's really hard and I think so many people struggle with this and i like I've heard so many interesting tips from people on the How I Work podcast about how they deal with digital distractions um and there, there are there are a few that I put into um into the book. And look, some of my favourite ones are the ones that are a bit quirky. I love I quirky.
1: All,
3: I know I love quirky too. Like because I don't really need to be told to switch notifications <laughs> at, like several billionth time. Like I yeah. know I should do that. Yeah. Um. But look, some of my favourite ones um from from the book. One would be. Uh, something Kevin Rose told me. So Kevin is uh, quite a high profile venture capitalist in Silicon Valley. So he was an early investor in companies like <laughs> Facebook and, um, and Twitter and, and sort of quite, quite large companies. like yeah. And Kevin was um, a few years ago reflecting on his mobile phone usage and he had worked out, thanks to the good analytics that we've all got on our phones now, that he was. I hate
0: it. I hate those analytics. I hate the Sunday afternoon report that comes
3: through. No, it's so good. It's so good because the first step to change is awareness, PJ.
0: stop it. No, ignorance is bliss. (laughs) Well, what Kevin realised is that
3: he was picking up his mobile phone 100 times a day. And that might sound like a lot. It's not actually that much compared to the average person. It's probably up at about 200 pickups per <sighs> day. But Kevin was like, oh, I feel like I'm just picking up my phone. And it's just mindless picking up. Like he's got no purpose purpose for picking up other than it just being habitual. Yeah. And so what he did is he got his phone and he tied a rubber band around it so that in order to unlock his phone, he'd have to take off the rubber band (laughs) and like be very (laughs) conscious about checking his mobile phone. So it was like basically creating a minor Pain in the inconvenience. yeah, because yeah. um, it's too easy. Well, it's like it is a bit like. So look, I've got my phone here, and I've got a hair tie, and I know, like, <laughs> if I tie that round, and like, it's just, it's, it's a minor annoyance that. It,
0: Can it you not you think, unlock it with it still on? uh n-
3: no, no, I can't because if I swipe up, I only get halfway oh. because then the rubber band is in the way, so I can't and. Nor should the average phone user. And so for Kevin, this made him think twice. Um, and so what he found is that from doing that very simple strategy, tying a rubber band around his phone, he reduced his phone pickups from 100 per day down to 30 per day.
2: Wow. And
3: that is super low.
1: Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
3: Oh my God,
0: I'm going to try it.
3: I highly recommend it. It's so good. And if you want to go really hardcore, then grab a second rubber band (laughs) and... And, like, tie it, like, vertically so you've kind of created, like, a cross, which
0: is – Oh, that's I'm challenging. You, I don't want to yeah, get in there.
3: Yeah, it's not ideal. I'm showing you this on a screen, which is obviously great <laughs> podcast <laughs> material. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, if you just imagine, like, a, a a cross with two rubber bands, it – Makes it very annoying to get into your phone.
0: Okay, what other fun techniques do you have? Because, yeah, I, I think yeah. people get over this conversation because there's always so much guilt attached to it, and they're like, well, fuck, it's just it's, – <laughs> I'm never going to get better at this. It's just too hard, you know. Yeah. Um, or, or, I mean, there's always the um, the simple technique of not having it in your room at night, which I know does work for me, but it's just getting back into that habit. That's an easy one. What other ones would you suggest?
3: Well, there was another one that I heard from Tim Kendall and Tim used to be the president of Pinterest. Yeah, So very into the tech space. And he discovered something called a K-safe and a K-safe is a box, stands for kitchen safe. And it's typically (laughs) a box um, used by people that are going on a diet. And how the K-safe works is that you, let's just say you're craving chocolate, but you're on a diet. Yeah. So you don't want to really eat the chocolate. So you put the chocolate in the case safe and then you set the timer for, let's say, an hour for the chocolate craving to pass mm. and your chocolate is locked away. You can't access it until the timer says an hour. And so Tim thought maybe I could use that for my phone to, to instead of relying on willpower to yeah. stay off my phone, just using what what he um, refers to as a brute force method, where yeah. like you literally just can't use it if you're mm. locking it in a case. Safe. So he bought a case safe and he started locking his phone up from about six o'clock in the evening until eight in the morning, and then again for a few hours on weekends. And he found that through locking his phone away, like he, he just he literally could not access the phone even if he wanted to. It made him spend far less time on the phone and be much more present with his family when he finished work for the day.
0: So he would do that when he knew he didn't have to answer to emails or anything like that. It was kind of like, or was that?
3: It was, well, it was deliberate. It was, it was him saying, I'm finishing work for the day okay, and I don't need my phone and I want to be present with my family. So my phone can go away and I don't need it until the morning. I love it. Yeah. Being really deliberate.
0: And it seems like harsh and simple, but if it works, why not?
3: Yeah. But like, look, what I really love is that it's not relying on us, like saying, "Mm, I want to stay off my phone, so I'm just not going to check my phone. But you can say that to yourself, but you're going to be relying on willpower Mm. to stick to that. So it's like, how can you make it easy for yourself to not be on your phone and one way is to lock your phone in a safe <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you did i say it was you that um, recommended putting your phone in black and white so then mm. instagram isn't as appealing how do you oh, do that
3: yes. oh how you do that so there's um so it's in the settings on an iphone i'm not sure what it is on android yeah but, uh there's um visual settings under accessibility yeah. uh so just do you want me to like? I can go have with a look. This accessibility, let me, yeah. I open up my phone. <laughs> okay, let's go into yeah. If you go right down to accessibility, yeah. Then let's have a look. Yeah, display and text size, and then you go into color filters, and then you toggle that. And then you
0: can pick grayscale. Oh no way. Have you
3: found it? Have you changed yeah. your phone to gray?
0: No, I haven't yet.
3: <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> scared to. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just do it. And Wait, then... so where's
0: so I've got colour filters okay. and I've got all these different colours.
3: So just switch the toggle and then
0: to oh, then... I see. Okay, cool. Put the toggle on and then it comes up red, green, green, green red, blue, yellow, grayscale. Yeah. Oh.
3: <gasps> oh, I don't like that. It's and and now like. Oh, I'm the phone Instagram. looks so boring. It's awful. It's awful. It doesn't look like a pokey machine anymore.
0: Oh like, my it's God. Is it, it's kind of like a supermarket, how they lure you in and they always put like the confectionery at the end when you're about to buy. It's like the cell phone. Yeah. Well, It's probably not the best analogy, but, <laughs> <laughs> but.
3: But like, I mean, if you think about what's in a casino um, yeah. and all the things that are super addictive um, and make gambling super addictive, it's like, that's what our phone is. It's. It's a little positive reinforcement
0: machine. I can't yeah. get over how much. I just don't actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's funny. That is so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so there's another tip for anyone who is um, struggling with too much phone use in their life. Um, another question. So Time Wise is obviously your latest book. Is the main kind of theme how to make the most of your day it is
3: so it's like look i'm i'm a big fan of productivity porn you know those yes. articles that are like the you know 354 things successful people do before breakfast yes. um like i will click on any article that looks like that but but this book is like it's not it's not another productivity porn book it is more <laughs> about how can we be more intentional and smarter with how we use the hours in our day because that is the thing we can't get more of. That is the thing that equalises all of us. Mm. And, and, like, it's one of the reasons why I started the How I Work podcast because I had this hypothesis that we've all got the same amount of hours in the day, yet there are some people that have achieved so much more with their lives than the rest of us mere mortals. Like, how have they done that? Yes. Um. And and so I set out to interview um, you know people that I felt were really successful in their field and unpack how are they using their time differently to the rest of us um, and so for, from hosting the podcast now for four years I've just picked up all these really interesting novel strategies for how we can be smarter with our time and more intentional and what are
0: the most those- common themes like the people who are super successful is it getting up at four o'clock every day
3: definitely not getting up at four <laughs> o'clock every day okay um, <laughs> just every second day no, that, that, <laughs> no. um, so what, one of the things though um that I have heard a few times is people um working to their chronotype so if you haven't come across the the idea of a chronotype this is basically when uh when are our peak energy levels over the course of a day and so chronotype researchers say that there are three types of chronotypes broadly speaking there's larks who are stereotypical morning people and they are just waking naturally at 5 or 6 a.m without an alarm um and they get their best work done first thing in the morning then there's owls who find larks really irritating because <laughs> they come to life at night and they do their best work at night ironically yeah. when most offices and schools are closed um and then everyone else is a middle bird so they might get up at like around 7 7 30 sort of naturally. And they're going to be at their peak um, in the hours before lunch. Uh, And so a lot of the people that I've interviewed will structure their day based on their chronotype. So, Mm. um, you know, if they're a lark or a middle bird, they'll do their most important thinking work before lunch, whereas owls will work at night and have lower expectations of what they can achieve in the morning.
0: And do you find that the the owls and the larks often tend to um, appear in certain professions? Oh, that's
3: an interesting question. I don't know about that. Like I
0: feel I like a night owl would uh, often um, complement, you know, the creative
2: type.
3: Yeah. You know what, I felt th- like. Oh, I don't think I've read research that has come with <laughs> that, but I think it's super. It's a super mm. fascinating idea. Yeah. Yes. And how
0: do you find it out? Is there like a personality test?
3: There, there is a link. So there's um there's a survey called the morningness eveningness questionnaire, which is one of the more <laughs> popular uh, ones. And I can I'll send you a link so you can link to it in the show notes. So anyone that wants to assess their chronotype, amazing, it and uh, it'll calculate it for you.
0: Oh that's so cool. Um I also saw one thing you like to cover and I don't know if this is in your book but a question that you can use to help you never regret a decision again I love the idea of this
3: <laughs> yes So uh, I I've heard this from a few people one of the people that I did hear it from uh is Toria Pitt um very inspiring um uh woman who who was a burn survivor and um an ultra marathon runner mm. and just um is, is an amazing human being and she gets a lot of requests made on her time not surprisingly and particularly speaking at different events um and She, like, I think it's easy for all of us in the moment to want to say yes, like whether that be because we're a people pleaser or because it kind of sounds exciting and our diary looks really empty six Mm. months into the future, of course. Um, But then when the thing that we've said yes to comes around, it's like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said yes to that. I'm so busy or I don't really want to do it. So what, Toria, and I've heard a couple of other people use this strategy as well, she um, she says to herself, well, how would I feel if this was happening next Tuesday? And she calls it her next Tuesday rule.
2: Oh, I love that.
3: And what it does is it, it focuses you to go, let's just imagine that this is happening next week, and next week for all of us is probably really, really busy, and we're probably feeling really stressed, and so it forces you to go, Do I really want to do this thing? Would I feel excited if this were happening next Tuesday? And if the answer is no or I'm not sure, then say no.
0: I love that. Like I literally just had a few scenarios in my head and I was like, you know, some things that I've kind of been tossing up. And I went there and I was like, no. And I got this like knot in my stomach.
1: So that's an indicator,
0: right?
3: Yes, definitely, definitely. What, a,
0: what are some I just I just want to pick the brains of all these successful productive people that you've talked to. Give me some more hacks. I'm loving it.
3: Okay. So, <laughs> this is one of my favorites that is just so random but so useful. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that like for the last couple of years a lot of us have been out of practice going to big events, particularly ones where we don't know many people because yes. we've probably just caught up with just the closest people to us in our lives and done smaller gatherings. But um like, I don't know about you, but I I used to go to a lot of big events. And I used to speak at lots of conferences. And I'm like, I'm naturally quite shy, quite introverted. And I like, I just try to avoid strangers and big, large gathering situations wherever possible, because um, it all feels very scary. But I, I interviewed this woman, um, Professor Marissa King, and she is a professor at Yale, and she specializes in social dynamics. And she wrote this great book called Social Chemistry, which is essentially how to build better relationships and how to be a better networker Mm -hmm. um it's it's a brilliant book and one of the tips that I took from her is that she says if you're walking into an event like firstly it can be easy to feel like you're walking into an ocean of people but remember people are always gathering in groups so really it's a bunch of little islands and then she said look for the groups that have an odd number so like groups of three or five, for example, mm-hmm. because she said humans are programmed to communicate in dyads, like groups of, of like two, like one-on-one communication is yeah. how we're programmed to communicate. And she said for any odd-numbered group, there'll always be someone on the outer. So in a group of three, there'll be someone that is more on the outer of that conversation. And if you go to that, that little island yeah. and you identify who's on the outer, they will probably really welcome breaking off in a little group of two with you.
0: Huh. Uh, and I well, the three's a crowd, right? Three's a crowd. So, right? yeah, are crowd, are so crowd. naturally they're going to.
3: Yeah. 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 So the next time, like you're at a party or an event or a gathering, <laughs> so you don't know that many people just look for a group of three <laughs> or know, five like or five. Yeah. And just figure out who's on the outer and carve off a conversation with them. Oh
0: my God. That's so funny. <laughs> 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 okay. I'm being greedy, but one more thing to leave us with. I know you're always working on new things. What's something you're working on at the moment that's fascinating?
3: Well, you know, something that we're doing at the moment actually is uh, so at Inventium we have done the four-day week, which was pioneered in New Zealand by Potential yes. Guardian. And we, we trialled the four-day week whereby for people not familiar with it, it's where you pay full-time staff a full-time salary but you only ask them to work 80% of the time. So for normal length days, but you expect a hundred percent productivity. So the same output that you would expect from a full timer. So we uh, have been doing the four day week. We tried it as a six month experiment in um, the back half of 2020. And then it was brilliant. All our hypotheses were supported in that experiment and we've made it permanent and we're just coming up to our two year anniversary. For me, it's been a game changer in how I approach my work. I feel like, Much more, much more balanced and much less stressed. I think in my typical working week, and yeah, we're just about to analyse the results of like what what has that led to. But something we did recently do is we we get so many questions about the four day week and other quirky experiments that we run as a workplace at Inventium, which is the behavioural science consultancy I founded quite a while ago. We we've decided to just open source, like all our policies and experiments and stuff that we've done to create a great place to work. So I'll flick you a link to that for, you know, for anyone that's interested yeah. in how we've done the four-day week, but that's on my mind at the moment. I love
0: that. Well, because I always I always thought a four-day week, how could there ever be anything wrong with that? And then I did hear, you know, the other side of the argument where people were saying, well, perhaps you'll actually end up being more stressed in those four days because, <clears throat> You, you feel like you've got just as much work with less time. What would you say to that?
3: Oh, I would say that was definitely a fear for yeah. our team. So we ran, before we launched it, we ran what's called a pre-mortem, uh, which is where you were like, we're like, okay, let's imagine that we did the four-day week. It's a year into the future. It's been a total failure. Why has it failed? And that's a really good exercise to project, say, a year into the future and imagine this idea has been a failure to uncover what are people's fears and stresses and things that could go wrong and proactively solve them before they actually become a problem. So, so we did that with the four-day week. Um, some people were stressed about, you know, I can barely fit my job into five days. How yeah. many do to do four? Um, but what we did, we doubled down on a lot of the productivity strategies that we teach to our clients at Inventium. um, And people just became a lot more deliberate in how they use their time. So for example, you really think twice about setting a meeting or accepting a meeting with someone else when you have to get your job done in four days. And so- Comes back to that being intentional. Yeah, it really does. Like, so I, I read recently that the average person um, post-pandemic, spends 21 hours a week in meetings. That is over half the oh working week God. if you're doing a four hour week. And that is up seven hours from pre-pandemic levels.
0: So and what's like, getting the, done in those meetings? Are they just at I meetings know. for the sake of meetings?
3: A lot of them are. And a lot of meetings, like a lot of people are just there for ass covering. Like, yes. who should I invite? Oh, I better invite Bob because he'll be offended if I don't invite him. Yes. Um, that kind of thing happens a lot. So just being intentional with meetings um, is a huge, um, a huge and powerful way to
0: save time in your week. Wow! I can't wait to see the full results of that because we've been talking about it for so long, and everyone's like, "Oh, we should do this. We should do it." But actually, to see some hard stats and results from it would be amazing. Hmm oh amantha thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it i just would love to pick your brain all day i'm I'm gonna continue to follow you online and listen to your podcast because um yeah you've got some amazing hacks and i can't wait to see what else you bring out
3: thank you so much pj it's been so fun chatting
0: well, we have it, episode nine with Amantha Imber, the organisational psychologist based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, she obviously started the company Inventia. Um, if you want to have a look, amantha.com is where you can find her and all her resources. Plus, if you want to find out your cronaut, uh, no, it's not cronaut, hang on, I've got the link here. She sent it to me. Oh my God, your chronotype. Every time she said chronotype, I kept thinking of cronuts. Oh my God, I love cronuts. Um, Anyway, I have linked that into the podcast notes. So wherever you're accessing this podcast, I'll put it in the little description and you can uh, work out if you're a lark, an owl or the other one, the middle one. Good luck. Let me know how you go. And, um, of course, don't forget to review this podcast uh, and subscribe to the PJ Podcast wherever you listen. I'll catch you back for another ep
1: next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.